if you could only do one thing and one thing alone, what would it be? Like, what is the one driver of everything? And that takes a, most people don't want to have that tough conversation. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. No matter what you do or where you are in your life right now, I'm pretty sure you've heard the word no more than once. And some of those no's might make you feel like you don't want to get out of bed. This podcast is here to tell you, you're not alone. If all these people can walk through the valley of no's to get to their yes, why can't you? Welcome and thank you for joining me again at 10,000 No's. For those repeat offenders amongst you, welcome back. It's so cool getting all of your emails with specific feedback on how you've been inspired or been binging on 10,000 No's since you discovered it. So uh, again, all the iTunes reviews are so appreciated. If you haven't left one, please consider doing so. It really makes us more visible to people who have no idea this podcast exists. Okay, my guest today is Sharon Sribatsa. And I just love this guy's energy. Love it. You're going to hear me say a few times that I feel like he's a lifelong friend, even though really I've only spent about 10 hours total with him in my life. He's just, he's so positive and compassionate and generous. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but those adjectives are not the first three words I'd think to be associated with a person who took a company from 300 million in revenue to 3.5 billion in revenue in just five years. Amazing what Sharon has accomplished. He tells me it's simple. Uh, come up with the target number you need to hit and then judge every single decision you make by whether or not it'll get you closer to it. Easy for him to say. So he has a gift. He tells me he can spot anyone else's gift faster than most. And whether that anyone is a person or a company is irrelevant. My take on Sharon is that his incredible compassion and overwhelming desire to serve is at the center of his immense success. Not only a whiz with management and numbers, this ex-Goldman Sachs investment banker is one of the genuinely kindest and most helpful human beings I've come across in my life. Sharon Srivatsa. I'm just a, everyone needs to realize that I'm just an ordinary guy. And an ordinary guy that did a lot of things, realized that few of those things that I did were actually working. So I stopped doing things that I was not good at, started doing more of the things that I was good at. Because there is this amazing quote, and the quote goes, when you spend time working on your weaknesses, you start having a bunch of really strong weaknesses, right? And it's hilarious to me that we always want to do better, be better, create better, and we always focus on the things that we don't do well, but if we can figure out the few things that we do well. And so I, over the years, I just have been in this filtering mode of how can I filter and start only doing the things that create joy for me, that I do well, that I can see a result and that create an impact. And so as the days go by, I start doing fewer and fewer things. So I've done, um, I had a chance to build a software company. Uh, we built and sold that. That was a good win for all of us. Uh, after that, I took some time off just to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Um, and then, so I traveled the world. I taught tennis, which is, which is a nice uh, boon for having sold a business. How old were you when you had the software company? I was, um, so we sold it when I was 21. What? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, well, this was also the this was also the technology boom, right? So there were okay. We got to go back, yeah. dude. We got to go back. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Where'd you grow up? So I I grew up in a um, I grew up in a little big city in India uh, till I was thirteen. It was called Chennai, India, uh, or they called it Madras was the original name, and there were fourteen million people in the city. My parents were. Uh, lower middle class. My dad was a college professor. My mom was a nutritionist and we lived in a one bedroom apartment. And, uh, and you know, they just the greatest parents. They did, uh, they did everything possible to give me a, a great life, give me an awesome life. And then, uh, so here's a fun story. You'll really love this, right? So my dad, when I was 13 years old, so I was a, probably a B minus student. I was, uh, you know, not talented. Like I couldn't act. I couldn't sing. I was tone deaf. I was colorblind. So I had no ability to do any art. Uh, I didn't have the, so I was a B minus student. I was okay. I was decent at sports, but not amazing. So I remember my dad when I was 13, sitting 12, 13, uh, sitting in a, on a park bunch. And my dad's like, Hey, listen, this may not be the right country for you. Like imagine that, imagine a dad having that conversation with you. Right. And he had never been outside outside of India. And he says, we need to find you a skill, a capability that can get you out of this country because we don't have the money to do that. And we were sitting in, Matt, we were sitting in front of a, um, on a park bench in front of a bunch of tennis courts. My dad's like, hey, it's an individual sport. Do you think you can hack it? I'm like, what are you talking about? You just want me to start playing tennis today? And, and he goes, no, like we need a capability. And that seems like one, you're decent. You have decent hand-eye coordination. So I started on tennis. I started doing decently well. My dad said, we don't care about anything else. Everything else in your life is a sec- is secondary over-index on tennis, your entire job. You don't need to go pro. You don't need to make money. Your entire job is to have this capability, recognize you outside this country so that someone gives you an offer to go to college, somewhere. Someone needs to get you out of this country and this is your ticket out. And and Matt, all I did was wake up every morning, play tennis, wait, go to school in the evenings, train, play tennis. I Everything else was secondary. Everything else. Starting from 13. Starting from 13 onwards. And so three, four years, I did pretty well. Had you played at all before never, that? Never played Literally any tennis. you were sitting there and he just was yeah, like, so Yes. It was so, I can't remember the exact dates, but so it was somewhere when I, in my early, like between 10 and 13. And so this, this is a story that I never share often. And I think uh, your, you know, your community will love it. So I finally get uh, an offer to play, uh, to, to come to the United States to play tennis and my parents couldn't afford it. So my dad and mom sell everything that they own, everything. They've sold, they sell everything that they own and they hand me one check. That check is for one year of school, all expenses paid, like one year of school, tuition, room, board, laundry, tickets, everything, right? But one year, they're like, this is all we can afford. This is one year. Everything apart from the Sharan, like you got it. Like you've got years three, four, and five, If you get two, three, and four. If you can't make it, come back, but... Here's one year. Here's a one year head start. So I show up. <laughs> so I show up in school. I feel like this is great. Like I got a year head start. So I show up in school. I go to a school in Iowa. I show up in school. I go to financial services. I deposit this check. And the lady's as nice as can be. And she says, Hey, Sean, this is great. You're good to go. We paid for the full year. You're awesome. By the way, this is an international check. So it's going to take 10 to 14 days to clear. I was like, No problem. And so she hands me dorm room keys. And then I said, great. So I go to my dorm room, but I have no money for food. 
I have no money. So I was like 10 to 14 days, like, how am I gonna, like, how am I gonna survive? I got water, maybe some peanut butter, but how do I, what do I do for food? And so this is the one minute story that I think you'll really appreciate is I, for 14 years, 15 years, never told a story to anybody because it was, I was embarrassed. A couple of days of like rummaging through pizza parties and trying to get people to, eat, you know, see if they're open cans of peanut butter. I, I knew I'd get food and I knew I'd get money in 14 days. I just didn't have a food plan yet. So I was um, waiting by the docks. Uh, it just so happened. And I saw two guys throw two big boxes of pizza into the dumpster. And I was like, okay, it's afternoon. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten for two days. So wait till the sun goes down. I jump in the dumpster. I grab these boxes of pizzas. I was like, this is temporary, right? This is only like 10 more days. I got this. I'm sure this pizza will last me. So I grabbed the boxes of pizzas, like really hot, smelling the dumpster. I mean, it's, it's no one, no one has been in there, right? Like it's, it's a, it's, I, I can still vividly remember the, the heat, the smell, et cetera. I grabbed the pizza. I run to my dorm room, you know, like I put my hoodie on. It's like the fall. I put my hoodie on, run to my dorm room. And I had, I was rationing the pizza to myself for a couple of days. I go back. I found myself like a bench where I saw what people are throwing in the dumpster again. So I, I go back in there. I saw these two kids throw two big Subway sandwich bags into the dumpster. I was like, oh my gosh, this is my lucky day. So I wait till nightfall comes. I jump in the dumpster. I grab these two sandwich bags and I see a big box of Pop-Tarts. I was like, oh, wow. I had a treat as well today. This is amazing. So I reach out to grab the box of Pop-Tarts and something slams me in the face and like scratches me. And I look and it's a raccoon in the dumpster with me, grabbing the box of Pop-Tarts at the same time. I'm so scared. Like I have goosebumps right now telling the story. I, I fight or flight kicks in. I grab the Subway sandwiches. I grab the Pop-Tarts. I kick, I kick the raccoon. I jump out of the dumpster and I'm like, I, I probably have rabies, right? Like, and I run to health services and I just get a tetanus shot or whatever they gave me. And that's when I realized, I was like, wow, if, if that was rock bottom, if that was rock bottom, I, I think I can, I think I can make it. I think I can work it. I think I can do better. I think, so every time I, some, a big problem comes about, I go back to that time. I can vividly still remember. I still like freak out when I see raccoons and Pop-Tarts, but you know, I've never, <laughs> I've never had a Pop-Tart since, but I still see that. And that was a like a, it was a ground floor moment in my life. And and until this year, until Craig Ballantyne, our, our mutual friends podcast this year, I had never told that story. And my mom heard it for the first time on a podcast and she was so sad. And she sent me an email saying, um, podcast was a subject line, call me. That's all she, <laughs> that's all she said. And so I had this, I had this thing with my mom, I had to tell this because, because they had no idea, right? Like they had pledged their entire lives for me. And I was coming back and saying, like, can you imagine me saying, well, I don't have food. Like I, I didn't have the courage to ask for anything more. What they would have found a way to get, send me some money for food. They would have found a Western union or whatever, but I didn't have the courage to do that. But that's just this deeply defining moment for me in my life where I said, you know what, if this is the introduction to what life is going to be, and I have, I've hit this, everything from here I, I can do. And, and that's been a, I, I always put that on the back of my head and learn from that. Amazing story. Did you, were you brought over here because of tennis or? Yeah. So I had, uh, I had, 
average grades. Uh, tennis was my only ticket into the US, uh, ticket leaving India. So I was thinking about going to Australia or the UK or coming to the States and tennis was my only. So I, I played at a division three tennis school just as a chance to get out and play. I wasn't that good. Um, I was good enough to be a kind of a club player, but I was never good enough to be pro or anything like that. I tried playing the pro tour. I realized that I started too, probably too late to do that, but it got me, it got my dad's dream of getting me out of the country. And so I haven't been back to India. It's been over 18 years. My parents still live there. You uh, have not been back. I've not been back for 18, 19 years. At all? Uh-uh. Why? What's the... Um, it was a... It was a dark time for just, I didn't, I was not, I was bullied in school. I was not doing well in grades. I was, you know, I, I was a decent athlete, but other than that, I was not, I didn't have a lot of skill sets to, in India, if you're not academically superior or you don't come from a wealthy family, it's a very tough place to, tough place to be. So hard for me to imagine that you were not academically superior and that you, um, just given what you've done and, you know, we, we haven't known each other for very long, but we've had enough time. I've had enough time with you in, in talking business and <clears throat> talking about life to your, your whip smart and obviously extremely successful with what you've accomplished. It's, it's hard for me to even imagine you as a kid not doing well in, in school. You know, it's interesting. I think, uh, uh, thank you. The the hard part is I think I just needed to find the groove, find what I was good at, et cetera. And as soon as I found it, I was a computer science and math major. I was terrible at computer science and math in India, but when I came to the US, for some reason, like it just blossomed. Maybe it was the teaching, maybe it was the environment, whatever. Um, Was it that the competition wasn't as stiff and then you got some confidence and then you loosened up? I, I think the competition was tougher, but I just think the uh, approach to education was, was different here. It was, India is a lot more rote learning mechanical, and this was a lot more kind of, Hey, what do you like? What do you want to do? Express yourself. It was more individualistic here. Um, For folks that are listening, if, if you are not grateful for the Western world education that you've had, uh, you should be because the rest of the world, you know, is not like we have a very powerful individualistic kind of learning methodology here that I'm excited for my children to grow up here. Um, and then I, and Matt, it got even better because after I went to business school, I went, I got my MBA at Vanderbilt. And so I learned a lot of things there. And the, the crown, the crowning jewel for us was about seven years ago, me and my partners had invested in a real estate business here in, in the LA market. And we thought that there was a great opportunity there. Uh, so when we took it over, that it was doing, uh, you know, we had about 45 agents selling real estate in, in the LA market. Over five years, we grew to 600 agents. We grew to over 10X in five years. Uh, when we finished, we were doing close to 3.5 billion in sales, but we grew the business 10X in five years. And then uh, late last year, we sold that business to a New York firm called Douglas Elliman. And that was our crowning glory of just building a business from the ground up, you know, offices across the coast, putting our own blood, sweat, tears, and money in. And it was like a real life MBA. Like we, like I mortgaged everything that I had to, to put in the business. We, we went early days. We went, you know, like we never took any comp. We wrote checks for payroll, but then when we grew it, it became one of the, uh, the most fascinating stories. So a lot of that is the, 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 the belief in 10 X just came over the last four or five years where we actually were able to build and grow this. So, uh, that's been a really 
you know, grateful thing to do. I'd love to get into the nuances of, of how you did that and, and your beliefs on that and some of the processes. I know some of them because I've spoken to you about it, but I also, um, I guess I, I want to go back to uh, in, in tennis because I just yeah. want to link it. What was your what was your uh, kind of superpower if there was one or yeah. close to one yeah. in, in tennis, for yeah. example? What yeah. was it? So skill wise, I was not that good. Yeah. Uh, what I realized was everybody was focusing on. So as a younger kid, as starting out a little later, um, when you are taught a sport, like when you and I are taught a sport, we're taught mechanics of the sport. We're taught technique how you throw a ball as in football, how you hit a ball on a golf ball, how you hit. So there was so much emphasis on technique that we spent so much time focusing on what we were doing. What I realized pretty quickly, I was winning against people who were technically much more skilled than I was. And I just learned that, hey, I may not be as skilled as a person on the other side of the net, but I got very good at what I started to call the analytical eye. I could look at say, Matt, you were across the net. I could look at and you'd be like, okay, every time Matt hits a low backhand, he, he, you know, he misses. I could pick that out very, very quickly. And for some reason that was the gift. And so I would say, okay, I don't have the skills to keep up with Matt here, but if I gave him 19 low backhands, there's a good chance I'm winning today. And so I could pick out weaknesses super fast and it was easy. Like I would beat people I had, I'm bigger than my weight class just because had a lot more focus on what was happening on the other side. And I, that was my gift. That is really, I'm so glad I asked that question yeah. because that is very similar from what I know of you to um, how you operate in business. Maybe not looking at others' weaknesses, or maybe it is like looking at it like a hole in the market, but it's, it's this you seem to me to have this this sixth sense of a, of an eye for opportunity. details, yeah, and opportunity. Yeah. Even in talking to me about yeah. uh, my own situations, and yeah. we've had some conversations. Um, y- your take on in, in this example, yeah. my situation yeah. is so such a fresh take that I never thought of before. Yeah, and uh, so that's interesting that that was. That, that it was it was kind of built there in those formative years and then later on, you know, kind of transferred into business. Yeah, I, I think the, um, you know, I, I always talk to my parents about this. I have a great relationship with them because they gave me the life that I have today. My mom has, um, I spent a lot of time with my mom because my dad was, the, my dad was a hustler. My dad hustled. Uh, they built a they built a small business themselves. My mom was kind of the COO, if you will. She was the stability and my dad was the hustle. And my mom would always say, everybody, like you use the word superpower. She goes, everybody has this unique, unique capability, this unique ability, unique uh, superpower. And she goes, if you can tune yourself into finding that, you always see the best in people. So like when I meet you, like whatever else you do is irrelevant to me. Like I, I have more belief in you than you have in you, which is amazing. Like I have more belief in most people than they have in them because I can just see, like it's crystal clear to me, you know, what, like what your wife is glowing, right? She's like, I love hanging out with her just even in the short time, but I can see her superpower faster than you've been married, you know, 17 years. I can see that more than you can very quickly. And that's the gift. So when I see you, I, everything looks so easy for me because I know I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so easy for Matt to do this. It's so easy for Beatrice to do this or Craig Ballantyne to do this or whatever. I love the joy of seeing someone's superpower is very uplifting because you only see the greatest parts of them. 
And so it's easy to build that bond. So I'm connecting with you at your deepest, deepest self and the, the, the most awesome joy that you have. And that's the greatest bond for us because I all, I see something in you that you know is there, but you don't know how to identify it. Which is interesting thinking about the business because you you bought this company, mm-hmm. uh, you and your partners, yeah. I presume, you, this, this company that was doing uh, 3.2 million in, in- 300 million. It was doing oh, 300 oh, sorry, million. 300 million. Yeah. Uh, when you went- <laughs> 3.2 million. <laughs> uh, so so uh, 300 million when you got it. And it's it's almost from what I know of that process, it's like you- saw the 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 deepest super qual- superpower right. in that company right. and then you just your job was to bring it out correct and and that ended up being 10xing exactly right exactly huh. right so yeah. so what does that process look like um like how do you so, so that our listeners could go man well, well how did he do that and how can yeah. i do that in my own situation how, do you go and you you just assess first and you go okay this is working. Yeah. That's not, that looks wasteful. Yeah. Uh, cut this, cut that, add this, yeah. build this. Is that like- Kind of. So there is a framework for it, which I think anyone can use in, in any in any of their situations. So it can be in your personal life. It can be in your health. It can be in your business. So there's three big components to this puzzle. The first one is what we call singularity of focus. If you could only do one thing and one thing alone, what would it be? Like, what is the one driver of everything? And that takes a, most people don't want to have that tough conversation. So for us, we realized that, hey, uh, when we have these great salespeople, then we do really well. So everybody built a business. I built a business of salespeople. So my job was to saying, instead of going and acquiring other companies, I'm just going to go and acquire great salespeople because they're going to drive our business. And so I said, our singularity of focus is making sure we have a avatar of a person great salesperson that we go acquire and come hell or high water, we're going to go acquire, we're going to go invite, recruit, enroll these amazing salespeople across uh, because they're going to drive our business. And for most people, that was a, that took away their power, right? They were like, oh, well, why would I go give my power to a salesperson? Or why would I go give my power to a product? I want to build this company. So I realized that that was a singularity of focus. And I said, if we can go from 45 agents to 600 agents, they'll deliver the results. And so all I did, we built an entire organization finding great people, finding great salespeople. So my, my entire company was built around finding great salespeople. Well, that was a singularity of focus. But number two is what we call the cadence of accountability. The cadence of accountability is, okay, great. We've identified that salespeople are going to drive our organization. How are we going to go get them? So every morning, our, our recruiters, our managers, our executive team, we had a call. And the call was very simple. I'll give you the format. 10 people on the phone call, they would say, what did I do yesterday to acquire great salespeople? And what am I committed to doing today? That was the entire call. So Matt, say you're first, you'd be like, uh, so yesterday I had three appointments. I met with three people. They were all not the right fit. Great, no problem. Today I have two more appointments and I'm gonna make four more calls to get more appointments. That's what you're committed to. Awesome, next person. Every day we did that because our entire focus was the accountability around getting great talent. Now that can be selling more product, that can be selling more books, whatever it may be. When you have a great singularity of focus, if you don't pair it with the cadence of accountability, you're not doing anything every day. So those two are big winners. And then there's a third component, which is what I call good process drives good results. 
we all, as entrepreneurs, we want to hack it. We're like, oh, let's just do this today. Let's do that tomorrow. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I always say, hey, listen, we're hacking it. What is the process? Hey, we got 14 new people coming on board. What is their experience like? Is it, is it, is it like a machine? So we hired just a great set of operations people to say, I want this to run smooth because the reason why most companies break is that they're, 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 uh, lopsided on one or the other. They're really lopsided either on sales and their delivery is terrible or they're lopsided on delivery and their front end is terrible. So I just wanted to make sure if I was having this cadence of accountability of people coming in all the time, they should have a great experience. So we just said, we're going to build great processes so that anybody anywhere in the world should. So as we grew more offices, I could just drop a new process in the office and it would just work. So we always say there's only three things to drive a 10X business, singularity of focus, Cadence of accountability and good process drives good results. I love the way you just take out all of the, um, I wouldn't say take out the emotion because you have so much passion in talking about this, but you take out all the BS when it comes down to, it, 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 it's, very, it's, it's very refreshing. Any, every time I've spoken to yeah. you, it's very refreshing because it's kind of like, you you're going from A to B. What's the map? Where do you turn? How do you go there? Right. Go. Drive the car. Yeah. It's very pragmatic. It's it's that sounds so simple in a way, and yet so effective. Well, let's let's do this. I I think your listeners probably don't know this, but I do. Which is um, when you are getting ready for your. Uh, latest um, acting gig, all right, um, in, in in Paris and here, you had to do a transform. Well, you're already a great looking guy with a great body. You had to do a transformation from a body perspective, right? So let's, let's break down that same exact thing. Singularity of focus. You had to get to X requirements and that was the focus, which means you needed um, diet, mental fortitude and exercise. So that was the singularity of focus. Then your cadence of accountability was you had to text Jay every time you either worked out or got got what you did or you looked at your planner, you know, your notes every day and said, this is what I'm doing in the morning. This is what I'm doing in the afternoon. And then your good process drive good results was you had to have chicken, for example. So you went and bought, you know, 100 pieces of chicken from Costco. You chopped it up. You made the right process. You put it in the Tupperware so you would do the right thing. So you solved it process-wise. So you you had the singularity of focus. You had the cadence of accountability and you had the process, which is why you're like, which is why you look like freaking Hercules. Like you're, you're a rock star, but there are the components exist. If you took one of those out, like if you took out the accountability, you would have cheated. You would have cheated. Or if you took out the process, yeah, you would have had chicken and spinach and avocado on the first three days. And when you didn't have enough chicken left, you would have eaten the hamburger. You would have, right? Because the process was broken. So anything, if you look, if you deconstruct anything that worked in a successful way, the singularity of focus, the cadence of accountability and the good process driving good results is very powerful. And the interesting part is the more people can... So if if the business owner that's listening to the show, the actor that's listening to the show the entrepreneur that's listening to the show, if, 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 if you cannot break down your business and you can't talk about it that way, something's broken. The more you can talk about it that way, the more you can see the gaps. Otherwise you have no framework to look at the gaps. You have no framework to look at what's broken. See, I think that's another superpower of yours that uh, maybe it's not quite as much as the, um, you know, finding the weaknesses and, and finding the holes, 
but your ability to connect the dots between an actor, a business owner, a tennis player, I think is also one of your gifts. And um, I'm really happy to hear, we were talking beforehand that you're now also you've, you've, uh, I don't know if it's on the side, if it's in addition to all the companies, I know you've had 11 companies, but, but you're also now coaching people. Um, I'm really happy to hear that because you're really good at it because any, any teacher, which is really a coach is, is a form of a teacher. Um, to be able to break it down and put it to stand in, in it's, it's like an actor, to be able to stand in their shoes and go, okay, what's important to me? You know, you were speaking to me before yeah. and you said, well, w- what's important to you? What, what are your goals? Yeah. You know, you didn't, you didn't come in and try to fix it all before you knew what it was that I even wanted, right. which is, I think, sometimes where people go wrong. They just slap something on. You said, well, what, what do you want? And I said, well, you know, this. And he said, well, that could be more clear. Right. Well, what are you doing to get it? Well, I'm doing this. Is it working? Eh, uh, sometimes, yeah. sometimes not. And yeah. then you kind of, yeah, you, it's, it's, re- it's, 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 it's so refreshing to hear. And then you have this, you know, the experience that you have and the results that you could go, you know, that one company, you're talking yeah. 10X, yeah. you said the other one when you were 21 years yeah. old did, did well. Yep. Uh, you have, then I go, okay, I want to listen to this guy. Right. Well, it's, it's, thank you. The interesting part is you said something pretty powerful there. And so um, the coaching method is uh, we all use it. We all should use it more. And the reason why, like you, you have, when you talk to your team, right. And uh, you've told me, Hey, it lights me up to start mentoring them because I could do, I can light them up and they can do great work together. And, um, so it's, it's really simple. Uh, everybody who has a team or who's thinking about their own lives, there are only three pieces to the puzzle. You have to have some kind of goal. <laughs> and when you have some kind of goal, you have to have some kind of plan. And when you have some kind of plan, you have to have some kind of execution. If you just have some kind of goal and some kind of plan and some kind of execution, you're automatically top 10%. Automatically. Some some kind of any of those, you automatically win. The interesting part is um, why I love, you know, like mentoring CEOs or, or just, you know, friends like you is I get into the mold where I'm like, okay, what is the goal? Is there a plan? And is there execution? And so for me, I always think about uh, everyone thinks... Th- most coaches believe that their job stops goal to plan. They're like, oh, have we gotten your 2018 plan yet? Great, my job's done. Like, no, execution is where the rubber meets the road. So to me, everything is about, okay, how does Matt execute on this? And is there gonna be pain? Is he gonna be in a joyful state? Does he have to outsource the execution? Is this gonna stress him out? Because if we build goals and plans and it's not tied to joyful execution, you're not gonna do it. Right, you're not going to do it. That's why the when you tell me, like when I say, "Hey, we can build an email sequence around this," like I know what to do. Like I built the email sequence so that I know which hooks to tie, and I hate doing that, but I know what to do. That way, when I can talk to you, I can be like, "Hey, Matt, I either know how to do it for you, or I can find someone to do it for you, but you shouldn't do it because that's not your core strength, right?" So at least I know from an execution perspective, like you're not left to the wolves. Like this can actually be done, and. Um, to me, tying the goal and the plan and the execution creates a sense of joy for people because now they can see A to Z as opposed to seeing A to F, 
<laughs> and then they're like, oh, I can't see the rest. Right. So I, I get stress and friction. And so I think execution is a super, super powerful thing if you can build it into what everyone else is doing. So even if what Jay did for you was you wanted to execute on having the right, the right health and nutrition and the physiology for the, for the, for the TV series, he said, great. He gave you the plan. And he helped you with like execution. He's like, hey, sea salt is good. This is not. He gave you the real tactics. Yeah. He just didn't say, read it in a book. He gave you the real tactics. And I think when he was there for you for execution, made you feel more confident that you can execute. And yeah. that's really powerful. Yeah. And and that's, that's another thing is that um, I told you that in general, my default uh, throughout my life has always been you know, I don't need a coach. I don't need a trainer. I don't need a, you know, I, I mean, I was, ironically, I did play sports. So it was always very much, yeah. many of my lessons were learned from coaches. But when it came to going to the gym, I mean, I had little periods of time in my twenties where I'd go to a trainer for yeah. a little bit, but I'd be like, no, come on. I, I played sport. I don't need somebody to show me what to do. I can do <laughs> it. I, I'm, I'm tough. I can do it. You know? And, and I, and I think about how really how, how, dumb that kind of was. I mean, it was, it, I was, at least I was doing the work, but I could have worked so much smarter yeah. and more efficiently and really, truly gotten better results. Yeah. All of a sudden now I'm going, I'm following, you know, Jay, by the way, Jay Faruja, uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but you guys have probably heard me talk about him already, but just in case someone's new to the yeah. podcast, that's Jason Faruja. That's who we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but what what he did, it, it, his knowledge is so thorough. Yeah. Um, and then not only, you know, you he has a book that I read a couple yeah. of years ago called uh, The Renegade Diet, and it yeah. was all about intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. and it was great. But you can also only get so much from a book right. or from a like a, a weekend seminar. Yeah. One of the things that that he ended up doing was, you know, like I, I'd, I would, I would, I mean, he was like really like slap me down in text. It was all like through text. We really didn't talk very much. And he's so busy that I'd bet, you know, I'd, I'd be like, well, uh, what, what did you say it was uh, avocado? Or am I putting the, you know, whatever yeah. I said? And he's like, I said no vegetables, you know, like, <laughs> those were like, inflammatory, that, period. Boom. That's, that's so it. Good. I was like, holy crap, you know. But what that was, was, you know, and when you get a, a great, a great coach is that you have the ability to, to have the relationship be alive and continuing to go. So when you get into these real world yeah. snafus, you you're like, Hey, uh, yeah, that was the thing with the sea salt. Yeah. I said, I said, you know, no salt. Right. And he's like, Oh, that would be a travesty. It's <laughs> one of the world's greatest, you know, foods or whatever it was, you know, that, that you get into these snafus and you actually have another pair of eyes on yeah. things for you. And, and I think where I've, I've started to, you know, thank God finally realize is that having, you know, paying someone, a mentor yeah. or coach to have eyes on your problem yeah. with you is in the long run less expensive than not. <laughs> yeah, you love the story. So um, I was not into any of the stuff, right? I was very similar to you. I was like, I can, I can figure it out. And if I can't figure it out, I, I'll, I'll, I'll hack it till I figure it out. That, that was, and I, I, that's how I was. And so I was at this conference. And which I'd gotten a free ticket to, by the way. So I didn't even pay to go to this conference. And it was, it was a, like a leadership conference. I sit there and I was like, hey, I'm here. I'm here for two days. Like I'm going to make the most out of it. I'm going to listen. I'm going to take notes. So this lady goes up. This was probably five, six years ago. So this lady goes up on stage and she starts talking and I'm paying full attention. And I instantly have this connection with her messaging. I just felt good. I just felt, warm. I've, she was on point, right? 
And I'm taking notes, uh, Matt. And every time I would have a question, I'm like, oh, I wish she would explain. And I would, she would just answer it like I was, she was talking to me. I was like, this is so eerily weird. And so I, I almost felt like me raising my hand in my head, right? And then asking the question and she would just answer every question I had. She naturally answered during the process. So I'm driving home that night and I call my dad and I'm like, hey, dad, like, I got to tell you this experience. My dad's a really cool dude um, and very high energy, loves to chat. So he says, okay, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I don't know. He goes, well, you should talk to her more. Like maybe she can mentor you, coach you. And I go well, like, that would be awkward. I don't know what, what, I, what do I do? So he goes, so this is what my advice my dad gave me. He said, uh, write her an email. And, he, and hear the words my dad used, which is amazing, right? He said, write her email and pick a dollar amount that is affordable, but painful. I was like, oh gosh, right? And he says, here's the email that you write. So my dad's a professor of English, right? So he totally knows, knows, uh, knows his stuff. He goes, he says, dear so-and-so, I saw you speak at this conference and you changed my life. I want to offer you, pick a number. I want to offer you $10,000 as a symbolism of my seriousness. Those are the words he used, as a symbolism of my seriousness. And in return, all I ask is that you prioritize my emails over the others. That's it. No time, no phone call, no coaching time, no meeting, nothing. And I said, really, dad? He goes, that's it. That's all you write. Because what do you want? When you have a question, you email her. She emails you back. You're good, right? And I'm like, yes, I'm good. So I pick a number. I write her the email. She instantly writes back. She goes, is this a joke? So I said, no, this is all I'm looking for. She goes, send me a contract. So I write the same email up in a one page. I sign it. I email it to her. She signs it back. And then I just would just email her questions. And then she would say, good question. Like, there's no way I can email response that. And she's like, can you get on the phone? So now she got on the phone with me, et cetera. So she helped me grow my personal kind of belief system, my leadership, et cetera. And she used this word, which is used these words. And she said, I get what you're doing. And I was like, what? I was like, you, you're giving me way too much credit here. I'm not doing anything. She said, you're buying speed. You're buying speed. And I, that's what I loved, right? Like you and I can putz around. You and I will figure it out, but we'll figure it out like four years too late when we could have a much better life. And so the, the, the investment in the mentoring, the investment in the, in the, in the, and I have multiple coaches right now. Uh, we share coaches like Craig and Bedros and all of that. And the investment is just amazing because now when I'm stuck, I just like, Hey, Craig, I'm stuck. Like some, somebody needs to help because I have no interest in figuring this out on my own because I know that if handed a blueprint, handed a solution, I'll go execute. And there's no more like ego in this anymore. I'm buying speed. And so this buying speed component is what my dad taught me. And I'm like, so into that right now. Like I, like I look at you and I'm like, oh my gosh, instead of you figuring it out in six years, I'd love for you to figure it out in six weeks. Right. That's so exciting. Yeah. That was one of the, you know, that's, um, one of the kickers of this, you know, we're talking about this transformation. I don't know, maybe it's not that dramatic, but wh whatever it was, I, I felt like I had a goal and I hit it, uh, in three weeks and I felt proud of that. Right. The flip side is I look in the mirror and I go, dude, what were you doing for the last 20 years? <laughs> know. You know, I mean, it's been okay. I've yeah. been in good shape, but like, I didn't get those results. Yeah. So shame on me. Yeah. And then, you know, you walk around and you're, you know, blaming this, blaming that. Why poor me, you know, yeah. victim, victim, victim. Yeah. 
And you're like, hey, man, this was here the whole time for yeah, you. Yeah. What were you doing? Yeah. And so that that's kind of the, you know, again, I just think of like anybody who's listening to this, what, you know, what are you do? Are you doing everything that you say you're doing to get whatever it is you're going after? Yeah. And only the the only person whose opinion matters is the the person looking back from the mirror. Yep. Really. Yeah. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. You know. And in a lot of cases, I look at myself and I go, yeah. I'm proud of certain things I've accomplished. And there are also many instances where I look at myself and I go, hey, man, you got to do better. Yeah. You need to be better. You need to be quicker. You need to be stronger, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I don't know, a little segue. No, there's a, there's a you, you said something pretty amazing. So there is a, uh, I think it's the book by Peter Thiel called The One, one or it's the one thing that Elon Musk says. You have the one? Um, Hold so, on a second. This yeah. is this is funny. Uh, that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, the one thing exactly. So, someone at the last week at Craig's uh, workshop sent this to me. Um, Sam Morris. Yeah. He, the, the one thing. Yeah, the Gary Keller. Surprisingly Keller, right? simple truth behind extraordinary results. Gary Keller with Jay Papazin. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I'm just what, reading it. which is amazing. So there was one of these quotes, like so. So we launched so my 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 current business right now. We launched 120 days ago. It's a software platform to help real estate agents around the world with sales and marketing. And the uh, the thought I read this in the the um, and I had to, we had some goals, right? Is it all residential? By it, the way, it's all residential around the world, okay. right? So if you're a residential agent around the world, you should go to KingstonLane.com and you should check it out. It's free, and I, I so I'm not pitching it. It's free. And the best part is I was like, hey, you know, it's a hundred days uh, in. So I, I had a goal for the first six months. I was like, hey, in the first six months, if we get a couple hundred users working the platform, it'll be great. I'll learn, et cetera. And then I read this book that says, why can't you do the same thing in a bigger scale? Like, why do you want a hundred users? So that was what I learned. And I said, well, maybe a lot of zero, maybe a thousand users. And they're like, no, you, your five-year goal is to get to 5,000 users. Why can't you get 5,000 users in six months and then really add value? So we are 120 days in and we're over 3,000 users having spent not $1 spent on advertising, not $1. So it was just a reframing of what I wanted the goal to be and amazing results for agents and brokers around the world. But I just didn't set that, like you said, I just, the guy staring back at me, right? It was always available. And so now I'm just like, wow, like how many, how many other areas of my life have I just been underperforming? I, yeah, I, I, I just heard this and I can't remember. I was trying to tell someone the other day. I can't remember. I think it was on a podcast and I, and I'll, I'm probably getting it wrong, but it was the, um, in, so I won't even try to figure out the, the, the methodology or the school of thought that it was, but there's some teaching method in, in China, I believe it was. And they were talking about these five-year-olds that were virtuoso, uh, violinists. Yeah. And the gist of it was they don't know how amazing it is what they're being asked to do. Right. So they just do it. Right. And it's kind of what you're saying. Totally. It's like if you tell your brain a hundred is a lot, yeah, then a hundred's a lot, right? If you tell your brain that three thousand's a lot, then three thousand's a lot, yeah. You, you know, um, it's it's it's. 
I, I wonder if people are listening going like, this is hokey. Like, wait, yeah. really? But, but it, you know, it, because there is something, sometimes it's, uh, people can oversimplify this and someone with not as much history yeah. or, or of a track record as yeah. you with the gifts that you have is listening to this. And then they go out and they're like, well, I want a thousand, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And they can't get it. And, yeah. and I, and I, you know, I do think there's a little bit that we need to keep that in mind. We can't overgeneralize. Totally. But, 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 but in our first 10X, I'd never 10X anything before. So in our first, so what was it? What was it that that? Why was that different then? Why did you ten x that one and not the ones before it? Was Great. it that? Was it that woman? Uh, think? I think she played a role, but uh, um, so so it was actually not fancy. It was actually something which is really bare bones. So we when we took over the business, we said, hey, we're rough. This business is roughly doing it's okay, doing okay. Um, margins, so it was doing. Let's say it was doing three hundred million dollars, right, uh, in top line revenue. And I was like, okay, we can do more. And I was doing some reverse engineering on math. And I said, well, if we hit $3.5 billion in sales, everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna make out well. That's a good number for everybody. And then I said, okay, well, our, our market cycles go in seven year timeframes. I probably need a two year window to do something with it. So I only have five years to hit this number. So I need to go from 300 million to 3.5 billion and I have five years. So I have to 10X in five years. It was a, it was, it was a, it was a self imposed limitation to do or, or growth goal to have to do 10X in five years to make it exciting for everybody. It was not like I didn't show up and say, oh my gosh, I want to do 10X in five years because I'm a visionary. I was like, this is the math that is going to make us all, you know, have good lives. And so my, my team would tell me, hey, Sharon, why are you taking that meeting? It's not getting us to 3.5. Like they would tell me that. I'm like, oh, you're right. Don't take that meeting. And so all our decisions was based on just that one filter over and over. So what I'm suggesting to the person that is thinking it's hokey, it's just that the only difference between me and you right now, the listener, is that I have a belief system and you don't believe yet. That's all. The skill sets, the access to talent, the access to capital, the access. Yes, I may have a little experience, but you can you can hire that. You can hire the experience. The belief system is the only difference. And yes, I probably have an edge because I did it once. And I'm saying I did it once. I didn't have the skill set. I came into a new industry. I didn't know how anything worked. I just randomly came up on this on like a piece of, on a cocktail napkin. And it was, I did this because it was a self-imposed limitation. Now, like Matt, now anything under 10X is not good enough. Now I have the, like, why would I do 3X? That makes no sense, <laughs> right? So where did that original belief that you could 10x the company come from? Um, we took the the 300, like, we hey, we had to do 10x in five years, and then we took that, that goal, and then we just chunked it down. So I just said, hey, if it's 10x in five years, means every year we need to do x amount. That means every month we need to do y amount. means every day we need to do z amount. I think this is everyday z amount is totally achievable. Can we build a plan to doing z amount every day? So it was by breaking it down that you felt this is doable, but did you already, I'm saying like even, even prior to that, like how did you have the cojones to go, oh, they're doing 300 million in sales? 
I could I could get them to to three billion or three point five billion in in five years. I didn't know I could. I just, just knew that I just knew that if we did, it would be a good day for all of us. And so it was more the carrot of saying, well, because because I also left my job on Wall Street, being an investment banker and coming out. I was like, for me to come out and do this, it better be exciting enough. And so to me, how for, old were you when you left that job? That was twenty six. Yeah, I left Goldman when I was twenty. So twenty uh, twenty. Uh, 26, I was, I went to business school, 28, I was done at business school, 28 to 32, I was in investment banking. So I came to uh, California in real estate when I was 32 years old. So give us the rundown. When you graduated undergrad, you got the the company, the software company, you said you sold when you were 21. Right. So where did that company come from? That was your own company? Yeah, we, we, me and three other partners, we built it. Who like like college? We guys? met random. So, like what I, was that? Um, where? What was that company? So, so we built a. We built a. Um, it was like a. It was an engineering uh, business where we built uh, optical switching, optical networking. So essentially, when what happened was, I was at a. Um, I was a. I was a geek. I was in. I was a in in doing a computer science programming. I was at a contest and I was pitching this idea of a white paper that I had written. And so I wrote this white paper. I was pitching it at UC Berkeley. I'm an idiot. What's a white paper? Uh, just a report. I wrote a report. Okay. I just wrote, <laughs> I wrote a white paper just says, hey. A white it, report. It just basically says, hey, I have this idea. And if, if everything were to align, somebody could take this idea and do something with it. Essentially, that's what it says. Okay. So it breaks down the idea completely that someone can take it and do something with it. So I pitched this idea to a group of investors as a college student. And so one of the investors that was sitting as a judge, like almost like, uh, you know, the voice, the judge, if you will, um, I didn't win, but the, he pulled me aside and he's like, hey, what you have is the missing piece for a company that I've already invested in. There are three guys. You should go talk to them, see if there's a fit. If you join them, I'll write a bigger check. And wow. so I didn't know these three guys at all. So we went... We built the product. I was like, hey, I don't know anything about what you guys do, but here's my white paper. Here's the product that idea that I have. If you think it is worthwhile and can overlay on your business, I can build this. They were like, oh my gosh, this you can sell. You're the you're the missing fourth piece. And then we just got very lucky during the, the timeline that we worked. But we didn't know anything about building a business. Like we were four 20, 20 year olds. What was the gist of the business? So um, the idea was every every um um, all the all the transportation of data and voice and all of that in technology was going to optic fiber. So everything was going from these hard cables that were laid around the world to optic fiber. That's so that they said that, you know, data can transfer faster through light. It was optic fiber. And they were going to lay optic fiber around the world. But nobody had the ability to manage this optic fiber. So we built these boxes that you plug the optic fiber into that would actually do the programming around it. So AT&T and Verizon and all, like, you know, some British telecom laid a optic fiber cable on, on the floor of the Atlantic, but they had no way to use it because they didn't have any, nobody knew how to talk to this optic fiber. So we built the, the language, the interface, to, the interface to talk to the optic fiber. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that still exists. That today. still exists. It was because aren't all these buildings now? They're all fiber they're all, optics. Yeah, they're yeah. All... It was. It's still. We got bought by a public company. It still exists. And my three partners are still with that company eighteen years later. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk about your decision then to move on. Is that just a personality thing where you're like, I want to be challenged. I want to go to do something. Different. Yeah. I just wanted to do you something. You seem like a startup guy. Yeah. I mean, just, just in knowing you a little bit, it's like you are jazzed by talking to anyone. I, I see you on, on Instagram. Is it like you just, you're, you are so 
childlike in your exuberance for mm. getting someone to get fired up. Yeah. It's really infectious. But is that what led to, were you like, hey, I'm not going to be here for 18 years? No, I, to, to me, it was like, I get really jazzed by the creation uh, like I love, you want to create, move up, sell, move on. Uh, not even, I am happy to stay as long as there is the growth. The, the, yeah. They're like, can you still let me create? Like I, I got to wake up every morning and believe that I have un, an unbridled uh, uh, platform to make a difference. Like today in our company, I can do whatever I want. And when I say whatever I want, I don't mean that, you know, flippantly. I mean that I have to be responsible in how I, how we deploy capital, et cetera. But if I have an idea today, it can be implemented tomorrow. Like that's super important to me. But if I have an idea today and it just goes through four committees before it actually gets implemented, that's just hard for me personally, but most people don't mind it. Uh, so to me, I just need, like I have an idea today. You and I have an idea. Like we need to do a Facebook live video and like sell something tomorrow. Like I, that's super exciting because we had an idea and we did something with it. Yeah. So, okay. So you're kind of touching a little bit on what I, I'm curious what do you, it sounds like that's what you love about your job is that that instantaneous ability to make a decision and to do it, just right. to go do it, pull the trigger, boom. Right. What do you hate about your job? Is there anything about what you do? And I ask it for this reason. People are listening and it's easy to go, oh, well, yeah, well, great. We're going to listen to this dude. He went, you know, 300 million, 3.5 million. I'm, you know, he's got another, he's got 11 companies great for him. <laughs> but you know, like I'm, I'm sitting here in my broken down car that's like held together by, you know, electric tape. Yeah. So F him. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. So they're like, it sounds great. There's no downside. What is the doubt? Da- what are the things or what is it that you had to give up or compromise in order to get to where you are? Because yeah. I know it sounds great. Yeah. But I know you at some point must have, well, just being an investment yeah. banker at Goldman yeah. for four years. I mean, that's just like you probably yeah. never saw the light of day. Correct. But what, what other kinds of, what, what would you say in your estimations, like the, the biggest thing you had to give up to get to where you are? Yeah. So uh, great question. I think the hard, people don't realize that you only, you only hear the success stories. You only see the, the one that worked. You only see the idea that worked. You only see the decision that worked. Like I make stupid decisions every single day. Like for the person that has an idea and wants to implement it right away, like that's not often a well thought out idea. It's not. Like there's no way I can have a hundred ideas and have hundred great ideas. One out of my hundred is really powerful, but we need to build um, a system which allows for the filtering of these ideas, right? Um, So, and, and people also need to realize that we, like we gave like, you know, my parents wrote a check for everything that they had. My wife and I completely remortgaged everything we had to, to build our first company. And we could have all gone down in flames. Like today, like I don't have, um, like for the person that's listening in the car right now, like I don't, some things excited me, some things don't. Like I drive a Ford Fusion. I'm happy with it. Like I'm good, you know? Like I don't live in a fancy house because that's not our taste. But dialing into what you love and being brave saying that you want it is hard to do. So if you're stuck in a job where it's you have to listen to somebody else's ideas every single day and you have to execute on them, but you want to go do something else, you have you should probably start a blog. You should probably start a podcast. You should probably have a better Instagram channel. There are ways today 
where you can get your message out without a lot of investment. And the hard part there is people will say, well, Matt can do it because he's a celebrity and he has already has a following. Well, sure. Like when I started, I had zero Instagram followers, <laughs> you know, but if you post good content every single day, people will listen. Today we live in any other time we live in a meritocracy. Today, when you put good stuff out, you get great traction. Today, anybody can be, no one can be Matt Del Negro, but people can, can impact like you do. And there is a vehicle for people to win today than they never had before. So I would always, like when I'm, when I'm with an Uber driver, generally in a car, so I was with an Uber driver, right? I asked him, he, he had done 4,000 Uber rides, 4,000. That's pretty cool, right? Like 4,000 Uber rides. And I said, hey, so uh, how many more are you going to, like, are you going to continue doing this? He's like, yeah, I'm ready to do 4,000 more. I said, hey, can I offer you an idea, right? Every time you are done with an Uber ride, put your phone up and just record. Hey, I just got off this, uh, this Uber ride. Here's what I did. I talked to Matt Del Negro. He told me the story of how he was a bartender at Boston College. And today, you know, he's done X, Y, and Z. Let me tell you the three things that I learned. You record a three minute video on every Uber ride. You don't think Uber is going to showcase you hundred rides in. I'm like, you never do anything, but I just gave him the mechanics and he was like, oh my gosh, like I never thought about that. He's like, I just had a couple that went went running out and wanted to chase a possum. I was like, that's amazing, but tell the story, but tell the learning, have the format around that, right? I think everybody can do that. No one's given them the idea around it. And so, so now he's starting to do that. He, he sends me text messages saying, hey, I shot this video. What do you think? I'm like, dude, every video is a good video because your story is not about your video. Your story is about the 5,000 Uber ride guy. Right, because if, if I told you I had 5,000 Uber rides and listen to my story, you would totally listen to my podcast because you have no idea what you're going to get. That's amazing, right? Like, like he, his podcast might trump yours and mine, like from a, from a quality of content perspective. And yeah. so all I would say is for the person listening who thinks like, hey, Sean and Matt have it made, that's not it. Like you have it in you. The hardest part's recognizing like, what is the story you want to tell? That's powerful stuff. That's, that's really, that, that, I love that you're, <laughs> I'm just laughing. Like, you know, you, you may, you do very well as a, as a mentor and a coach and, and like you're, you can't help yourself. You're mentoring your Uber driver. I love it. Like, I, that, it that's like, that's another lesson right there. It's just like, do what you love. And like, it's something that, that you, you know, you just want to do it anyway. It's like breathing to you. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that I'm you know, have a, a little bit of a similar thing. I'll get yeah. into conversations with, the, with my Uber driver and we'll, you know, it, it'll always go into some place, uh, you know, where it ends up leading to something where you're like, oh, that was pretty cool. I just got a 10 minute ride to a party yeah. or wherever. And, uh, you know, maybe that person influenced me in some way. I influenced them yeah. in some way. And, you know, I, I, this is, so this is, um, I've never shared this before, but this is a, you'll really appreciate this. I believe that anything that we see that is simple can be made extraordinary by just one thing. And that's cadence. Cadence just is doing this over and over again. So let me give you an example. So uh, three and a half years ago, my doctor told me that, hey, I had some health issues. My doctor told me that, hey, Sharon, looks like your uh, blood work and your numbers, you looks like you are healthier in the mornings than you are in the evenings from what I can see. So he goes, 
uh, seems like you're a night owl. Why don't you just shift your days up? And I was like, so what are you telling me to wake up at 5 a.m.? He's like, yes, if you want to live longer, you should just wake up at 5 a.m. Just go to bed earlier. I was like, oh, come on, doc. You can't tell me. He's like, I'm telling you, you will live longer. I said, okay. He's like, try it. So I said, I need some accountability because I'm going to turn hit snooze on that alarm. There's no way I'm waking up, right? So I picked the three friends on my phone that I'd last text message to. And I text them and I'm like, hey guys, could you do me a favor? For the next five days, I'm going to, uh, here's a call, here's a conference call number. I'm going to call, we're going to do this call at five in the morning. It's accountability for me to wake up. You don't have to do anything. You just have to wake up. You can go back to bed. I don't care. But I know that if I don't show up, I'm going to let you down. So for five days, just help me out. They're like, well, what are you going to say? I was like, listen, I'll make it either funny or a joke or humorous or inspirational or whatever, but it's no more than three to five minutes at 5 a.m. They said, okay. So I have no idea how many people got on this. There are three people, right? It's a conference call line. I, I don't even want to hear them beep in, right? So I just kind of like hit record and they, mute all. Like I'm just talking because it's way easier that way. I didn't even wait for them. Five o'clock, the clock hits. I do a three to five minute message. And then I realized from my call logs, after the first day, the three people were on. The next day, there were five people on. I think they had invited some people. The next, clearly my message was helping, whatever. The next day, there was 10 people on. I was like, what's going on? So the five became 10, became 15, became 25. So I've been doing this for three and a half years. Today, we have 2,600 people on the call. What? We have 2,600 people on the call. It's called the 5 a.m. club. We have 2,600 people on the call. It's free. Anyone can chime in. It's 5 a.m. club.net. 5 a.m. club.net. Anyone can jump. It's seven days a week at 5 a.m. I wake up seven days a week at five in the morning and I deliver one message for three to five minutes. And I record every call. I've never shared any recordings, but I have a library of over five, 600 calls. I actually had a publisher tell me, give me all your recordings I will transcribe all of them and I will write like a chicken soup for the soul book. But as a one call, it made nothing. It made no sense. It made, it had no impact. But for the 600 calls now at any point, at any time I can do a five minute message. I don't even prep anymore. Like I can wake up. I reflect on my day. Tomorrow's probably going to be about you and me and, and what I learned today, but I don't even know who's on the call anymore. I have 2,600 people on the call and it's, and it's constantly growing. It's constantly growing every day. And we have an amazing private Facebook group that people share these messages. But just the cadence of having a five-minute call every morning changes everything. So if, 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 you're, if you're listening and you're posting one quote a day and you do it every day at 8 a.m., in 100 days, you have 100 quotes. You're better than Gary Vaynerchuk because you've done something every single day. So if there's anything that you're passionate about and you think, ah, oh, it's just one quote or just one message or just one three-minute riff, Give yourself more credit than that because if you can do it in succession every single day, you've built something really powerful. Like you've built an artifact. You just gave me, watch out everybody. Yeah. You just gave me, I, I got, there's something that I've been toying with and yeah. I didn't know how, I think you just cracked something for me. Yeah, awesome. Get ready for uh, a yeah. quote from 10,000 no's every morning. Yeah, isn't that amazing, right? And so Literally, because that's what I feel. I feel like I have all of these incredible guests come in here. Yeah. And- People are listening. People are being inspired. But I, I constantly feeling like it, it's such a shame that so many incredible quotes from incredible people yeah. are just buried um, in in a Dropbox yeah. folder somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Really, or or they're, or they're not buried because they, I guess they exist on yeah. iTunes. But basically, until someone listens to the whole thing, right? And I keep thinking like, 
well, how do I get those bite-sized quotes out there? And so I've had this, I've kind of run samples and like show the interns, but, yeah. but it's, it's always like, I'm, I'm thinking too much about it. Yeah. And you just took the guesswork. I, I'm like, well, how do I, you know, I mean, this is what happens. You get complicated. Then you go, well, which episodes and who do I quote? Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. And which quote? And is it this yeah. quote or is yeah. it that quote? And it's like, no, dude, no. just go dude. in and randomly hit play and whatever hit. If yeah. it, once you get to the a great quote, boom, pull That's it, it out, put it on a card. It's out there. And then do that. And just schedule them ahead of time, I yep. guess. And there you go. Exactly right. Well, the interesting part is a bunch of people said to me, so this, we do this call five, it's called the 5am club, 5am club.net. If any of you need any accountability and you want a community that you can wake up to every morning at 5am guaranteed, 5am club.net. However, I had a, but it's 5am Pacific. So there's people around the world listening. So actually we have a bunch of people, <coughs> bless you. Actually we have a bunch of people on the East coast. It's 8 a.m. for them, like cheaters, but whatever, right? It's it's cool. So a bunch of people wrote me and say, hey, Sean, we can't be on your uh, on your call. Do you have anything that you write? And I'm like, oh gosh, now you're gonna make me write. So now, so about a year and a half, two years ago, I started writing what I call the Daily Mojo. So I write an email every day with some message, every day. How long is it? Probably one iPhone screen generally, so short. So the goal is always to keep it in one iPhone screen. Can you get, do you have your phone nearby? Could you read today's? Yeah. So today's was, uh, so today's was, oh, this is really good. You'll appreciate this. Today's was um, a series on how to 10X anything. How to 10X anything. And uh, let's actually, uh, um, you'll, you'll really love this. So, so today uh, I've started writing a series where I have realized that instead of just saying, hey, here is something that I am, uh, here's a message for today. Um, I'm now doing a series of five things. So Monday is part one, Tuesday is part two, Wednesday is part three, Thursday is part four, Friday encapsulates everything. So today's is, how do you 10X everything? So if you, people want to get this, it's freedailymojo.com and you can just subscribe to it. So the today's message is, how do you 10X your business? And I'll read it out. If I could answer with only one, amazing, this is, this is crazy that you say this. Uh, by the way, everyone needs to know, this was not planned, right? Like I pulled no, out no, my No, 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 I have a whole two pages of questions that we haven't even gotten to. We're just so uh, the, today's is, how do you 10X your business? And I'm gonna read it. If I could answer with only one strategy, it would be, get, it would be to get a paid coach or mentor. <laughs> this, <laughs> this may seem like outsourcing your success, but I think it's more as an insurance policy for your success. I have a battalion of coaches and mentors and I take each relationship very seriously. Nothing better than standing on the shoulders of giants. I take I, I take every advantage I can get. How about you? Wow. So that's my today. So tomorrow is, so this whole week is how do you 10, so yesterday was how do you 10X your health? Today is how do you 10X your business? Tomorrow is how do you 10X something else I can't So I, I pre-write them for the week. And they, I set them to go out, but every morning you get something from me. So now all my readers, thousands of them around the world, get an email from me every morning with something positive to wake up to. That is awesome. Yeah. I really love that. Yeah. It's, it's, dude, but imagine you and I are writers, right? Like we process when we write, like I'm better. I'm able to have tactical conversations like this with you with like not pontificating because I think and I write and I draw and I speak every day. So you can deliver like implementable stuff every day. Yeah. Ha, huh. I really, I really love that. You know, you said something earlier and, and I, I apologize to people listening because it's all of a sudden now it sounds like a, it's like a commercial for, you know, coaches and mentors. <laughs> but you said something earlier that, that really kind of struck me that your dad, oh, excuse me, that your dad, um, 
told you when he said, write that email and come up with a number that's not, I, I forget how he said it, but yeah. it's not going to break you, but it's going to make you uncomfortable yeah, or something like yeah, that. You that you like, can afford, that you, you can, can afford, but it's also going to hurt. But it's also going to hurt. So, uh, I, I had something recently I told you, yeah. I just signed on with somebody and, and, um, I'm paying more. I told you, I'm not the guy that yeah. wants to, yeah. you know, that, that I'm always like, I could do it myself. I could do it myself. And when, you know, I asked the, the price and the price was given and I was like, Phew. and I have to tell you, it was in a way, part of the decision was because I hated, I, because of the price, Right. it feels right. Because it costs me, and it's something that I've told young actors for yeah. a while. Like I go and speak to these um, yeah. this MFA program here in Los Angeles, and I and I always say this little story. When I was I was in uh, at BC, I had done one play. It was two nights in a lecture hall. wasn't even on a real stage, and I was like, I'm going to be an actor, <laughs> and I, I I proclaimed it, and you know that's a little bit delusional to do, and I went and and. I was like, I'm going to get headshots. And I went and I looked for, I didn't know anything. I went to this photographer in Boston and it was, I think it was 200 bucks for headshots, which is that you can't find that anymore. <laughs> now you, you can't find that. Um, but 200 bucks. And for me, you know, I was like 200 bucks is A lot. significant, yeah. you know? And I knew when I was doing it, I was like, if I pay too much, this is, maybe it's how like cheap or frugal I was or whatever, but like, I was like, if I pay 200 bucks right now for headshots and I'm telling people I'm going to be an actor, like paying the 200 bucks, like I'm going to be an actor. Like, like it, I, yeah. I was just, I knew that would hold me to yeah. it. I was like, I'm not going to go just drop 200 bucks. And maybe that price is different now and yeah, it's bigger sure. or whatever, but, but there's something about paying for it that makes it more effective, ironically, and which makes me think about when you're on the yeah. other side and you're charging, right? You know, if you're undercharging, I guess you maybe that's a signal. Maybe nobody talks about yeah. it, but subliminal. It's like subconscious. Everybody's like, "Oh, it's really not worth yeah. that much." Where it's like a, a big ticket. It's like, "Hey, I'm charging a lot. I'm going to deliver." Yeah, totally. And, and there's this there's this um, cliched quote, which is, um, "When you pay, you pay attention," right? And and if, you, if we think of everything that we do in our lives, when we pay, like we, we pay attention and it, it can be like, Hey, pay. And when you show up at the door, you get your money back, whatever it may be. When we pay, we totally, we pay attention. And the, the phrase that my dad used was symbolism of seriousness, right? I love that. It was a symbol of my seriousness. And I love, that's one of my favorite things, which is, I always think, okay, well, how do I communicate? Like me coming to spend my day with you here, which is like I've been looking forward to this for weeks is my symbol of my seriousness to spend time with you, right? And people don't realize that. Like that's a symbol and that's really powerful and it, to me, right? Because I'm I'm saying yes to one thing and no to like 18 other things. And so the symbols of seriousness are super powerful and uh, it, it, you're buying speed. <laughs> you're buying speed and I'm, none of this is, you know, none of, we're not saying hire us. That's not what we're saying at all. We're just saying it's been amazing to get the results we have gotten. But think about it the other way. Imagine you write the check that I wrote to this lady, the story I was telling you, right? Imagine how she felt. She's like, Sean wrote me a check for $10,000, whatever the number is. 
I better deliver. And so she's thinking about how she can create a transformation for me. Like I have put the onus of success on her. Yeah. And you knew, and that's the other thing. Yeah. You're not doing it to some random person. You listen to that woman speak right. and you, and she spoke in a way that she was answering your particular questions. Right. So there was a, there was an instinctive attraction to work with her because right. you grooved with her. Correct. And, that, and that's really important, I think, yeah. is yeah. like, you find a, a teacher, whether it's an acting teacher, a business coach, whatever yeah. it might be, you do, it doesn't matter what everybody else says about that person. I might think you're great, but like, that doesn't mean you're right for someone who's listening, right? That, that doesn't, yeah. you know, you, one, you don't do what they do, yeah. you're not, you, or you, they just don't like you. Totally. You know what I mean? It's like, they just, they're like, I don't like the way his voice sounds. Yeah. I, I don't like the way he looks. I don't, it, but it could be something dumb, but whatever it is, it's super it's important. Like, you yeah. got, yeah, you have to follow your instincts right. on on where you're going, I guess, yeah. you know? Um, okay. So speaking of your commitment, your symbol of your commitment, I want to, I want to be respectful of your time. We're at 110 and I, I want to, we're, we're just, we, we've kind of covered in our own roundabout way. <laughs> we've covered pretty much, you know, the gist of what I wanted to ask you. I got, I've got a, a little finale. It's a, it's a three question pop quiz that All I right. have. Oops. I have just started. So First one, complete this sentence. The word no actually means next opportunity. Boom. Wow. No hesitation. <laughs> there was no spot, no time limit on it, but I like that. I like the authority. Yeah. Okay. First book, film, song, or quote that comes to mind right now and why? Uh, the, the book that comes to mind is um, The Fountainhead by Ayn, Ayn Rand. I know it. Just it. like I get goosebumps every time I think about it. Um, that guy, Howard Rourke. If, if you've not read that book, at least go read the Cliff's Notes or something. Uh, it'll take you like, you know, six months to read that book because it's, it's a fatty. It's big, but it's, it's a big, great. Oh, I the story is it. amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my, it's probably my, one of my most favorite books in the world. But as soon as you said that, I actually was picturing the cover of the book and for some reason. So really, really powerful book, the book that changed my life. And it makes me sink into the artist that we all are. The artist in us is the artist that is going to create new things. We don't need to optimize a new process. We need transformation. So get into being the artist that you are because there's something in you that can change the world. That's Great answer. What was the other character's name? Peter. Was it Peter? Uh, Remember, he was the one who was kind of like the. Yeah. 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 I forget. Yeah. And, and you hate him. And yeah. then Howard Rourke ends up, yeah. he's a little prickly at first. <laughs> yeah. And you exactly just right. really love him. Yep. Okay. Last one. If you could go give your younger self advice, what age would you choose to intervene in your younger self's life? And what would the advice be? Um, so I'll go, I'll go two parts. The first part is, I think we've said this over and over, I would be 10 times more successful in, in my humble way today than I am if I had a, a, a coach or a mentor. I would just say I, people need to know that because all the bumps, great like bumps and success have all happened with great people along the side. But let's actually go. So we've already hammered that. So let me, let me go to another piece of advice. Um, about um, when I was maybe 18 or 19, I was a, I was an abrasive kid. I was 
um, aggressive. I was my way or the highway. I was not, I know better, but I can do this. I can do anything. And I would go back to that kid and tell him, Hey, kindness will win more. Um, sensitivity would win more. Just the more kind you can be, the better you can be like, don't suppress the tiger, but the tiger is for you. The kindness is for everybody else. And Matt, compared to today and 10 years ago, my friends from 10 years ago do not recognize me today. They do not recognize me. I was a, I was not a cool person to be around. I'm grateful for my wife for sticking with me, but I was not, I was a, I was aggressive. I was commercial. I was like, I can do anything. I was, I was not the, I'm a much kinder person today. And I like me more today than I did then. Uh, I can stay with my thoughts more today than I could then. I can hang out with you for four hours today and make us feel like we're having a comfortable conversation than I did then. So I'd love to go back to that 18, 19 year old and say, hey, just induce a little kindness into you. Think about the world in a more kind way because kindness will win. That's what a great answer. What a great answer. Yeah. I want to end it, but I'm just so curious about one, one thing. Yeah. I understand that. But had you not had the period where you were abrasive and defiant, would you have been able to earn the position that you're in where now you're able to be kind and it's okay? Do you think that that, that hard-headedness was also a necessary part of your success or do you think it was unnecessary and you could have gotten there being the way you are now? I think I could have gotten there the way I am now, but not because it never changed me as a person. Like I, I think knowing what to keep inside you that motivates you and, and the person that you are externally is really important. Like I'll give you simple, simple examples today. Uh, five years ago, I got an email that say somehow irritated me. I would fire back an irritated response. Today, I get the same email. I fire back a kinder response. End result is probably I get the same result, but in the process, I ticked off a person. Today, I'm just like, I instantly go to, hey, how can I be kinder on this? And I'm not, I'm not out of the woods yet, but I'm much kinder today than I was. I even tell my team, when my team gets irritated, I'm like, hey, don't fire back to the client. Stay kind. You will win staying kind. They will appreciate you for staying kind. You have no idea. Maybe it was a miscommunication. You have no idea. You always win being kind, but I think the uh, the responsiveness or the response and the the reaction reaction and the response of being kind, like having that be the leading emotion, is, is would probably have gotten me more friends and more successful places. That's great. Sharon, thank you so yeah. much for being here, man. Hey, of course, and a lot of people don't know how hard it is to. Uh, put, get the guests, get the schedules and spend time, put the podcast, podcast together. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Oh yeah. This is my pleasure. Okay. Sharon just blows my mind. As I've said, I've hung out with a guy on two different occasions in my life, this being one of them. And yet he feels like a lifelong friend. So that's actually going to be the first of my top three takeaways. Even though he didn't necessarily say this, he does this. So number one, Make serving people, even the ones that you don't think you can benefit from as much as they'd benefit from you, your number one driver because it creates goodwill and that goodwill creates gratitude. And in many cases, even if not by design, all of that good energy 
will come back to you in some way, shape, or form anyway. Two, have singularity of focus. Sharon asks, if you could only do one thing and one thing alone, what would it be? What is the one driver of everything? And then he said, most people don't want to have that tough conversation. Number three, and here's the magic, and I think it's what propelled Sharon to take that business from $300 million to $3.5 billion so quickly. Once you identify that one thing, you need to base every single decision, action, and choice on whether or not it will get you to that target. And it can seem nuts. That's fine. $3.5 billion in five years, that's crazy. But he said they just did it. And once they got everyone on board, they all kept him on board. So what an inspiring story. Unique guy. I feel really fortunate to have added Sharon to my list of friends. Okay, that's it for today. I hope you're as inspired as I am. If you are, please leave us an iTunes review. It helps us be seen more than you realize, helps us get these inspirational conversations out into the universe a lot further. Drop me a line at info at 10,000nos.com. That's Info at one followed by four zeros nos.com. If you have suggestions, complaints of any kind, uh, wish list items for the podcast, anything. If you like my conversation with Sharon, you'll probably enjoy listening to my episodes with two people we actually brought up today, Bedros Koulian and Craig Ballantyne, both also very successful entrepreneurs with unique takes on business and life. Tune in next week. I've got another unique thinker joining me, Matt Mayberry, who currently runs business development for Boundless Mind, a persuasive behavioral artificial intelligence company that assists app developers in creating more addictive apps. Don't worry, they only work with socially conscious companies, so it's not as evil as it sounds. And they also use that same technology with their own app, which is called Space, which is designed to help people reduce their addictions to social media staples like Facebook and Instagram using behavior science. Fascinating conversation. That'll drop next Friday, so be sure to check it out. Meantime, have a great week. Thanks again for joining us here at 10,000 Nose. 